0: Good afternoon. This is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is Sunday the 18th of the 9th. Michael, how have you been?
1: I'm doing well, Gary. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful sunny day here. Blue skies and all that sort of stuff. So why not be happy?
0: Actually, on the topic of happiness, I was talking to two people during the week who were saying that they loved the show and had been listening for a while, but had decided they needed to take some time off from the show, Michael, because it was making them angry. Just angry at everything.
1: In what sense? They were angry at... The the topics. It was
0: making them angry at the government and uh, most of the people we talk about. And they had realised, Michael, it's just easier not to be that angry at people.
1: As a friend of mine would often say, out with the anger, in with the love.
0: But as I was talking to them, you know you want to tell people, oh well, you know, we'll... We'll try and cover more positive things and all of that hippie nonsense, basically. Uh, I wanted to go down that route. But in the back of my mind, uh, I knew that I had just finished reading the executive summary of the tax commission's report and that it was going to get a lot worse before it got
1: better. It'll get worse before it gets better. Much like, uh, oh, much like everything, much like the energy crisis, the war in the Ukraine, COVID, let's face it, we're ahead into a what's it? they had a clever word for it on the independent Oh, the twin
0: twindemic
1: the usual winter problems and the covid problems twindemic uh which is that's going to cheer us up mary McAleese is back in the news michael she's a hero gary she should be in the news all the time
0: mary McAleese is uh in the news because she uh in her role uh in, uh, in her involvement with trinity and she is deeply involved with Trinity, I mean, she's a former Trinity uh, Chancellor, that's not surprising, she was speaking and recommending against the giving of an honorary degree to the Dalai Lama because of Chinese reaction. And she was arguing, Michael, basically, that that this this was the real politique of the situation, that Trinity is becoming increasingly involved in China, and that doing this would um, harm their financial prospects which is, I think, an absolutely accurate portrayal of the situation.
1: I think that she has a point, a very good point, that the Chinese are far, well, I wouldn't say far less likely, but less likely on the face of it, to lash out the yuan and the dollars and the rimbies if the Dalai Lama seem to be around the gaff. My
0: major interest in this, Michael, is that I don't really associate Mary McAleese with real politique though. I don't think Mary McAleese presents herself as someone who's very involved with real politique. I thought her thing was bleeding heart liberalism.
1: Are, are you kind of suggesting that Mary would prefer us to think of her as somebody who is absolutely and deeply committed to the moral choice, to the ethical path, to the authentic voice, to speaking truth to power and not backing down and saying no, no, we will take your money, uh, genocidal Chinese government regime,
0: that kind of thing. I, well, I thought Mary would be keen to, you know, present herself as the one who isn't friendly with despotic regimes. Opposed, you know, not like some of those other Marys, Michael. no, those other Marys, like Mary McAleese would would never get involved with Middle Eastern princesses, <laughs> and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. grubby, grubby business. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I, simp, I just, I, to my mind. I
0: mean, I think we, you know, I think Mary Macleese is very much a, a moral giant, Michael. Never, never slow to take the unpopular position just before it becomes popular.
1: Uh, just, just just, before or just after? I don't know. Earlier in the
0: year, what happened? Sorry. Well, what you, what you actually want to do is you want to go just after, but early enough that people think it was just before and possibly that you caused the change. That's the real skill here. That's how You, you need to ride that line. But I, I remember earlier in the year, Mary McAleese um, saying that she, uh, she, what was it, I've never had contempt for another human being, but I do now, when she was talking about the Russian ambassador. What? What's the Russian ambassador do? Oh, well, I mean, the, she was, it was about the war, Michael, in Ukraine, and, and she was saying that she'd written to him multiply, uh, multiple times in terms that she couldn't possibly describe uh, in a public arena, and that she was very angry with it. And she um she had never had contempt for another human being, which is one of those sentences I don't really believe. But she said it. Um and not to have a little bit of water boutery, Michael, because war is obviously bad. But China is or and has been for a long time and now is kind of winding down, herding people into camps and, you know, it was the whole cultural genocide thing.
1: When you say cultural genocide, and I'm not disputing that there is a cultural genocide going on, and not just, of I mean, not in, in just one place. I mean, there's a cultural uh, genocide going on people would say and have been saying for a long time in Tibet. But then you have a kind of a more actual, more non-cultural genocide going on with the Uyghurs. Well, I mean, Michael, the UN recently released a
0: report on that and nowhere did it use the word genocide. So who are we to say? We are called
1: the not-UN. <laughs> the UN said, oh, God, it's terrible, isn't it? You know, he got to the stage where he started a sentence with the UN says and I've my brain has just turned it off. Just, yeah, it's gone picking flowers. Even the UN,
0: um, in their report on Xinjiang, found uh, serious human rights violations. I believe the phrase was "severe and undue restrictions on a wide range of human rights." Um, and they also said there was an element of religious discrimination in that, um, in those restrictions. But no, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested because if, if you know, from a real politique perspective, that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. You're angry at Russia publicly when Russia is weak and the public are against it. And you're supportive of China, privately, even though they appear to be committing genocide because it's in your financial interest to do so. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate position for someone to take. It's just not what I think Mary would like the public perception of Mary to be. Yeah,
1: I mean, let's Russia, China, very, very different. Russia, what, 180, 190 million people? Basically produces what? Manufacturing-wise, very, very little. Primary resources, yes. Oil, gas, diamonds, gold, that kind of stuff. China, well over a billion people. Middle class hitting around 250 300 million people makes shitloads of stuff that we want to buy and has very, very positive, aggressive foreign policy situation. Has As we have discovered, Gary, do you see this? Um, police stations in Dublin. Yes, I think Gripped broke that
0: actually. Or, uh, well, more exactly, Matt, uh, Matt broke that in Gripped.
1: That was kind of cool. I actually know that shop I, I sometimes when I'm in town and I need some of my more difficult to locate Oriental uh, stock cover items I pop in there. It's a good shop. So that was interesting to discover. <laughs> so if it's, it's perfectly reasonable because, let's face it, being again in Russia it really isn't going to cost you a whole lot. Being again in China, if you're a third-level college, a third-level a third institution, I should say, sorry, anywhere in the Western world, could be a very expensive thing indeed, but yeah, I can see that it's it's not part of the, br- it's not part of the Mary McAleese brand that we've all come to know and love and respect, Gary, respect very much. None of that nonsense about Middle Eastern Emirates, as you say. I've often
0: complained that when Mary McAleese comments, particularly on the Catholic Church, she always makes comments that are kind of emotional appeals. Which I found odd because Mary McAleese is a theologian, Michael.
1: Uh, she's, she she has a qualification in canon law.
0: Well no Michael she has do you remember I think it was two years ago, maybe three years ago? She won the uh, Alphonse Hour Ethics Award <laughs> And I just I just wonder what the classical Christian or perhaps Catholic ethical or theological view would have been. On playing nice with a genocidal dictatorship because they are, you know, financially tied to you. I
1: just curious. I don't want to be controversial about that, but I think that's a question that would depend very much on depending which, which pontificate you're talking about. There are those who would say that the the direction by the current pontificate that Catholics in China should cooperate with at some level at least the National Church. You're aware, Gary, in China there's the Underground Catholic Church, which is the church which looks to the Vatican, looks to Rome. And then there's the National Catholic Church, which does not and is recognised by the party. Uh, and on the present pontificate has made a decision which runs against the position of say JP2 I don't imagine JP1 had a position he wasn't there long enough, Paul, John, et al before them. So maybe it's a thing in Catholic theology these days that we should be just nicer to the Chinese, or rather not to the Chinese, but to the Chinese state slash government. Maybe that's maybe she's just a manifestation of that elu- evolution that we've also seen from uh, Francis the first.
0: I mean it's also possible that Michael, she's just ahead of the game on this there have been reports that China is uh, rewriting the Bible that will be used by the official church. Some reports say it's been done, but it's it's very difficult to figure out China what's actually happening and what is just being claimed because there's so rarely an actual
1: primary source. I God, it's it's a tough one. You know, I mean, I know what you'll say. You'll say True Grit. The the remake of True Grit was better than the original, and I agree with you. But generally speaking, you get a classic like the Bible. It's very hard to, you know, I know there's a temptation to rewrite it and juice it up a bit, but it, it's a tough one. And I, I wish the Chinese the best with that. Well,
0: I mean, I'm just saying maybe Mayor MacLeese has, has seen advanced sight of this. And, you know, maybe there's now a fantastic story about how Jesus goes into the temple to chase away the traders. But they all have the appropriate permits and they're, you know, they're paying you a fee. So, well, you know, you know maybe you 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 asked them quietly to leave or you know cut back on some of the slave
1: labor or maybe what well, he carefully picks out those people who are unregulated and paying below minimum wage and scourged them out leaving the other people who had all the correct licenses permits and were paying above minimum wage in the temple because I think that would maybe that would be a better parable for the modern age. Maybe, yeah, it's possible. Maybe Mary has seen the galley proofs of the new Bible. It's funny that
0: Mary McAleese can say absolutely nothing incorrect and still manage to just be mocked for 15 minutes. Because it seems to lack, Michael, what I might call authenticity. I just don't see Mary McAleese going on Ortie and saying, well, yes, the slavery is bad, but... It's not popular to go against them, so we're going to continue making money, until exactly the moment it is where we will take a position where it looks like we have taken a position of moral leadership. And I mean, if you're not paying attention, it will be really impossible for you to tell that we didn't.
1: Mary is not just a canon lawyer, she is a a secular lawyer also, and a a very accomplished one. She was a professor of law in Trinity. I mean, it is possible, Gary, that this is the authentic Mary, the hard-nosed, realistic woman in the world. And all the other stuff was just uh, a notion. Maybe realpolitik Mary is the real Mary. This is authentic Mary.
0: I am generally of the view that you know these are all perfectly acceptable positions to take. Just be honest about why you're taking them. And don't try and present yourself as something that you are very clearly not. If the very second your interests are challenged, you're willing to do this.
1: Yeah, the, there is a, a a bit of an element here of a, a disrespect for the old Aristotelian principle of non-contradiction, which was basically said that if you said not X, you couldn't say X. And if you said X, you couldn't say not X. And there's a, a little bit of a feeling that Mary is trying to keep a... a, a, a at the very least a foot in both camps at times, but there you go. Anyway, best to luck to her.
0: What was it Aristotle said, Michael? The greatest crimes are caused by excess and not by necessity. He may well have said that, guy, to be honest with you. Not implying Mary is involved in anything criminal. No, 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 no. An no. excess of zeal. Uh, moving on before I say something that uh, that we'll both regret. The, uh, the tax commission, Michael. I've, I have not read its full report because the full report is 571 pages long and I just haven't had time yet. I have ha- read the um, executive summary and the recommendations. And if I could sum it up in one word for listeners who just want to have a general idea of what's being re- recommended, it would be the phrase, the lower rate should be phased out. <laughs> and you're going to see that phrase a lot through this. Like, everything should have fat on it. The lower rate of VAT should then be phased out, so everything, you know, I'll, I'll give slightly more, more detail to this. For those who aren't aware of it, there was a Commission on Taxation and Welfare put together to look at uh, basically getting the tax system into fighting form for the future and uh, to enable it to handle some of the challenges that were coming down the line, including the transition to uh, deal with all of the climate-related stuff. The government put that together. The report came out during the week and now the government is running a mile from the report because it's just tax after tax after tax. The only thing that I can recall seeing that they do not recommend taxing is uh, child benefit, which is nice of them, Michael.
1: Yeah, I just, I think the timing was fantastic. So for example, there should be tax... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, just, they are proposing an additional tax on electricity used in households, right? Could you, if you were to sit down now, Gary, for a good fifteen minutes and try to think up of a, a tax that could be less popular and indeed less likely to be introduced than a, right now a tax on electricity? I don't know if you'd come up with one.
0: Oh, I can, I can actually think of one that's in it immediately that I think would be less uh, popular. Actually, no, I can think of multiple, which is actually pretty impressive. So what about the one that um, the distance that you drive should be monitored and then you should be charged an additional tax based on that, which would require, Michael, um, the establishment of something capable of monitoring everywhere you
1: drive? You see, I have to say, I am not actually opposed to road usage. Taxation rather than blanket motor taxation. At the moment, Michael, no, no, no. The blanket motor taxation is staying.
0: This isn't a replacement. This is an addition.
1: (laughs) Oh, silly, Michael. Sorry. Oh, silly, silly, Michael. Um, Right, okay. Because at the moment, our roads are, in theory, the infrastructure is supported by a mixture of road taxation and the tax on fuel. And it's always seemed to me that actually a fairer way would be to use road usage as a way now i don't like the idea that they're going to chip you and as it were you because at the moment google knows everywhere i go but i trust google to be careful with that information and not to be abusive however the government i don't want the government knowing everywhere i go so it would be it would be some kind of a tolling system on most here's here's a another good the report Talks a lot about equity
0: and things like that, which is not surprising when you look at some of the people put onto the report board, but then recommends the the reform of VAT to increase its yield. Now, consumption taxes, which is what VAT is, because every time you you buy something, you're you're charged it, are an interesting one, but they tend the argument against them, and I'm not sure if I'm convinced by this, but this is the argument is that they're strongly um, regressive. Yes, they are that would be because everyone true. is charged the same and so people on lower income are proportionally going to pay more of it and this report wants basically the lower rates of uh, everything that isn't uh, liable for vat should be should have vat at the lower rate then incrementally over time the lower rate should be merged with the standard rate which is what, 22%, 22.5? And everything should be charged at that rate. Now, this is in a country in which an argument over whether or not to put that on children's shoes brought down the government.
1: Yeah, right. That was then, this is now, that would never happen.
0: Yeah, but you can see, unfortunately, Michael, there are still people in the doll who were there when that happened. Alan Jukes did
1: that wonderful, wonderful thing. Yes, and much Alan like,
0: Jukes. let's say, some of the people involved in public health in this country, Michael, are deeply scarred from the attempt to digitise public health in this country. <laughs> I feel some of those people may be similarly scared about children's shoes.
1: You say, Okay, number one, yes, you're right. They're talking about introducing that on food, which would make us quite a bit of an outlier. I remember one of the most sensible things I was ever I ever heard about I was talking to an Italian accountant about uh, Various tax, consumption taxes, whatever. And by God, the Italians are creative when it comes to tax because they used to work at least on the basis that most people who could would pay no income tax. So you had to get them elsewhere. And I said, but what about wine? Uh, Like duty? Is there duty? Is there vat? What is it? he said, no, no, I told you, there's no wine. there's There's no vat on food. I said, yeah, but he said, wine is food. I thought, these are sensible people. However, I'm sure you saw, Gary, that there would be fat on pizza, chi and the other the things that were taken up by the p pe- particularly by the newspaper pizza, chicken nuggets and chips would face consumer taxes. And one of the reasons is, of course, that this is to discourage people from eating these bad foods. Bad, bad foods.
0: The phrase they use is ultra processed. And
1: what does this mean? It's
0: interesting. Let's think. So since your little, um, shall we say, difficulties, Michael, I've had a bit of a health kick. Hence, yes. like, all of this going on hiking in the gym and all of that sort of thing. And that has involved me paying a lot more attention to food. And you very quickly realize that things like ultra-processed are basically meaningless in, in relation to health. Because they're, if you're concerned with obesity, which is what these people are talking about when they're talking about the health consequences ultra-processed food, there are some exceptionally high ultra-processed foods, and there are other ultra-processed food, or, it's, it's I mean, it's difficult to talk about because it doesn't really mean anything, which are very low-calorie. And it doesn't matter how processed the food is, if it's low-calorie, and you eat less than you, uh, then you're than what you will, effectively, if you're, if it's if your calories in are, are lower than your calories out, you will not gain weight. Bar some bizarre circumstance, or there are certain issues with maybe insulin that might do it.
1: Well, or you could be retaining gallons of water. But other than that, no, you. Don't. But Gary, it says that there will be, a, there should be a tax on highly processed foods, right? Now, included in now this is the reporting of it, so I don't know what this would, if this would be, in fact be the case in practice. But chips. I want someone to explain to me how a chip is a processed food. You take a potato, you cut us, you fry it. I can't imagine less processing on the food. You cut it, you cook it. That's zero processing. Now pizza. Pizza is bread, tomato, cheese in an oven for 90 seconds and you take it out. How is that processed? And yet, according to the reportage, these would be these would attract uh heavy taxes, nudge taxes. The other thing is, Gary, we have talked about this before. The evidence for the success of nudge taxes is very, very weak indeed.
0: When they're talking about health, and they're talking about particularly tobacco, they make some claims about tobacco, which are largely backed by research, which is that smokers cost um, health services money. The research on it, and there are many, many pieces of research that say it's true. The problem is it's not actually true. Uh, But it reflects the sort of people that are on this board, that there is a sort of, well, the research says this, Therefore, it's correct. The issue is incredibly politicized. Most of the people in it are, should we say, have some slight conflicts of interest. But when you actually look at the raw data, and you can cut this different ways depending on how you want to do it. But the basic truth of the matter is that smokers save health services money. They actually contribute to it. And why is actually, when it's put forward plainly, it's actually pretty easy to see why that is. Almost all of the healthcare costs that a person will go through come towards the end of life because that's when you're dealing with multiple chronic conditions that's an accepted fact
1: I was talking recently to a young man who always cycles down mountains and he goes to the gym and he does pilates and he's constantly giving out about his leg days and he eats protein and he doesn't hardly eat a fried chip and he drinks in moderation and he has very good genetics I knew his grandparents and they lived well into their late 80s And he was talking about the the burden, the burden, Gary, of people on the health system who are smokers or who are overweight and we should get people fitter so they live. An alcoholic, a fat alcoholic smoker is a hero. The amount of money a fat alcoholic smoker contributes through taxation, VAT, duty to the whole thing. And let's face it, if you're dropping dead when you're 60, now, that's very upsetting for the person involved. I feel this personally. I'm very much in favor of living well beyond 60 and well beyond 70 uh, at the moment, anyway. But the fact is, I. I I don't know. Do you do you remember? Do you you you're uh, Yes, minister. There's a very funny clip where they actually quoted the statistics that had been compiled, but were not published or not published widely because it felt like they were just a little bit insensitive. But did point out that the fact was that people who drank heavily, smoked heavily, ate badly, lived short lives, but tax rich lives and contributed. It's the likes of these people who live till they're a hundred and eight. But yes, that 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 is actually the problem. Really healthy people, well,
0: above a certain level it kind of lessens, but your average person, shall we say, is grotesquely expensive to deal with as they come towards the end of their lives. But that can go on for decades. Smokers die. Well, not all smokers, but on average, they die. And the heavier a smoker they are. Gary, all smokers die. Let me reverse die younger. Um, and the heavier a smoker they are, the earlier they die. The problem is. All of these facts together lead to an obvious conclusion, and there are pieces of work that lay out that conclusion, but they're incredibly rare because no one wants to come out and say, actually, smoking has a positive thing. And you kind of saw that during COVID, where there were pre-releases that said that smoking could actually help with COVID because basically it damaged your lungs and that made it more difficult for COVID to spread through them. And there was this outrageous or outraged response by the NGOs that this could not like NGOs who had no idea what the research were, because they're so strongly against it. And you see it in vaping as well. The people involved in this area have largely lost their minds, and it's now just an emotional thing with them. But that just gave me an idea of the type of people here that they would just go, oh, well, that's what the, the research says. Obviously, it's correct. Let us now work on that basis. Also, Michael, I was going through the list of people who were involved, You know, policy officers with uh, it environmental NGOs but the one I really liked is the CEO of Threshold or the CEO of Threshold is on this. Threshold being the um, homeless charity. Now people may remember Threshold from our earlier rants about the banning of bedsits because Threshold were the people largely responsible for having that done because Michael people shouldn't have to live
1: like that. That's worked out well hasn't it? I was in Roscommon a couple of days ago and there were uh, some students, uh, nursing students over from uh, uh, Zimbabwe and they were staying in the hotel and I said, that's all. They couldn't get accommodation in town. I said, well, I I understand Dublin being expensive, but Roscommon? And he said, oh no, it's not expense. Uh, There are no properties to rent. No, the... uh, I would point out the Betsit ban did not apply to Roscommon. But more than my broader point, I suppose, is that we have pursued uh, policies regarding accommodation and housing in this country for the last 15 years or so, which have been so successful that they have got us to precisely where we are today. But, Gary, you're saying about various things that tell us where this document is coming from. There are a couple that I thought were very interesting. One was the proposal to increase. Self-employed PRSI to eleven percent, from four to eleven percent. Oh, yeah, these are people who are really friendly to the entrepreneur, to the small businessman and the small businesswoman. Michael, are you
0: are you suggesting that having IBEC on this, but no one from like ISME or anything to do with small firms may have perhaps not um, not fully represented the views of smaller companies?
1: I think this is very much like like asking the Apaches how they feel we should arrange the security on the on on the fort when the cavalry is out this is ah but did you notice that the thing that for whatever reason stirred up the greatest animus and response and he could be very cynical about this guy and I know you won't be but I know there are cynical people out there the one it was the response to the significant proposed very significant increases in Inheritance tax, or the death tax, as the Republicans in the United States like to call it. Tremendous pushback on this. Uh, was it Leo or Pascal said that there were elements in this report which were fine, but lots of it read like it could have come straight from the Sinn Féin uh, Manifesto. But all the the yeah, the yet sounded more like Leo than Pascal. Although it's worth noticing that the people on this commission were appointed, in in part at least, by Leo and Pascal. So, I mean, what the fuck, lads, did you expect? If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's very likely to produce duck eggs. So all the Finnegalers come out and waving their fists in the air. And a very cynical person, Gary, would say that what this effectively was, was them, basically, they're going to accept a lot of this stuff because, you know, we have all just decided we want a bigger and bigger welfare state and you all those people out there making money just aren't taxed enough and we need more tax and we need more equity in taxation but they can knock back on the proposals for inheritance tax and finagle can come out and beat its chest and say look look what we've done we stopped the bastards we saved you because the single largest asset of course that most people ever transfer in their life is the family home uh, when someone dies or maybe it's a well farming farms are treated differently but anyway when that property is passed on from one generation to the other there is that sense that they have already been taxed and people feel that there's an unfairness to this kind of taxation instinctively because they've been taxed at least once or at income level and they're not different times in their lives. Why should be taxed once more? Uh, I mean,
0: I, I think that, that drew the most immediate attention, that and the, the VAT on what they term junk food. But I would say things like, oh, you know, the removal of tax relief for private health insurance. Once people cop on to that one, I think that will not go down well.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, Gary, they'll only cop... My, my fear would be they will cop on to that after it has happened.
0: Oh, of course, as well. We should mention there is the... Um, there is the note that the government should progress tax individualization. Tax individualization, is basically to put this in context, there is a tax bonus to get married um, because you can do certain things and you can move stuff around. And It used to be that a married couple, basically you could combine everything into one person and then if one person stayed at home, the person working would receive all of the tax credits, but also it would move their um, tax entry points and you could save rather a lot in tax. That was removed as a deliberate policy uh, explicitly to get women into the workforce because it would, if you were a um, home in which there's only a single worker, you would be substantially worse off and then your spouse would have to go to work, which I always thought was, I was always kind of amazed they got that policy true because when you think about it, it's an exceptionally like mean policy we are going to make your life worse so that you will go into the workforce and then there will be female participation in the workforce but the way they actually sold it was not that they were going to hurt families who did this what they said was the fact it was there was a disincentive to women getting involved in the workplace basically implied women were being forced out of the workplace because you know michael nothing says equality and freedom like the government screwing you until you have no choice but to go into the workforce. That's when you really come into your own as a as a person, Michael. Not like people were doing what they wanted to do, and the government decided, no, we need more
1: workers. It, it, it couldn't have been described as what you as what you might call a pro-family policy, but Gary. I would say since the second world war if you look again and again at reports done by various economic organizations in Europe and North America one of the constant themes has been the number of percentage points of increased GDP you could get if you increased women's activity or presence in the workforce by x percent or y percent and it has been it's been a constant theme that we need more women out there and if we get more women then we we'll get more GDP and that was how it was framed. And that was the, it was exclusively seen. There was never any discussion of how this might affect the organisation of family, which also means the number and the socialisation of children. So that wasn't considered to be an issue. That was a bit of an old-fashioned conservative thing. And
0: they were absolutely right. Forcing or allowing, in some cases, depending on where you were, women into the workforce, massively increased GDP. The question now is... How much of that increase in GDP, if you were to look at living standards uh, in relation to, you know, it used to be possible to support a household on a single wage. Largely, that's no longer possible. And how much are those things tied together? The
1: growth is, from my perspective, I said the growth the growth is real. The welfare is another issue because I don't think you can quantify welfare in this, a simple GDP or GNP kind of metric. I think that's a whole different issue. I also think if you were asked the a wider question about how a society or a culture reproduces itself and passes its values on and or maintains a certain kind of civic stability and peace, whether or not this is the best idea, that's a whole other question. But they want to continue the process of individualization. These are not people who come from a, a tradition, shall we say, many of or at least some of them, that regards the nuclear family as an obviously beneficial or positive thing. So why should they care about policies which undermine or erode the, that same nuclear family? It's hardly a surprise. Either way, we would be way down the road, way farther up the, than if we did this. Sweden would look like a free market paradise in comparison to us.
0: Here's a, Here's one, and... I haven't really heard this much talked about, but i would be interested on this. The commission recommends removing the pay-related social insurance exemption on supplementary pension income. So, basically, PRSI is not charged on occupational uh, public sector pensions and certain personal pensions, I believe. They would like to change that. So, they would like to tax uh, pensioners the demographic who votes in the highest amount.
1: They would like to tax some pensioners. I think would be more accurate, would it not? People with ex, you know, people with more money. It, it, do you not feel just if you were to stand back and ask, what does this basically taste of? If you were to a global sense of this thing, what this feels to me like is anybody who is making more than we feel is really necessary. We're going to take money from them in order to give it to other people because that's how we perceive a just and equitable society works because ultimately these are people who think that it is the role of the state to decide how much is enough you have enough you have more than enough now we're going to start taking some away from you because you have plenty now and we want to give it to other people because ultimately product of the economic product of the state belongs to the state now i shouldn't say the the economic product within the state belongs to the state and they get to decide how much they're going to keep and how much they're going to give back this is not what you could call anything like a, an adam smith type of document uh we should see how much of it do they implement i don't know i think it's all a bit it, i think it's just bizarre it's bizarre. we are already the either the most or the second most progressive taxation tax system in the western world there
0: is there is actually one final one that i just wanted to mention um, dirt, which is um, dirt deposit interest retention tax. Direct basically, income, you direct income retention tax. No, deposit. no oh, yeah, deposit I interest. interest. Deposit deposit Yeah, actually, yeah. So it's on so it's, it, it's on savings. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's basically the tax you pay on the interest on your
1: savings. Yeah, it's a disincentive to save.
0: Yeah, the commission recommends that it should be taxed an individual's marginal rate of income tax and USC.
1: Marginal rate.
0: Yeah, so if you've ever wanted to pay a 50.5% tax on the interest of your savings, well, has this commission got some recommendations for you?
1: There you go. That's a perfect example. Everything, all of these people, and it seems to me increasingly that people who see even in government, even though in private they might profess all sorts of Friedmanite or Hayekian notions. It's a mixture. It's a mixture of social, Marxist economics and Keynesian. They have no respect for saving. They really don't like saving. They are absolutely committed to the notion that consumption is better. And everything they do promotes consumption rather than saving. And that would be great. And in theory, it's perfect. The only small problem is, Gary, every single successful economic unit that we have ever seen are countries where you have high levels of saving, leaving to high levels of investing and low levels of debt.
0: Inflation rates are going up. Your savings are effectually devaluing in real time. And that is the point at which they propose that the small offset that is provided against that by interest rates and presumably interest rates will raise at, you know, at some point or rise at some point and it will become more notable should basically be kneecapped and the, i suppose that, that raises the question of well what should you do with your money if you want to avoid it devaluing i mean you could invest it
1: but no in what in a bear market in bitcoin
0: i mean speculation is all always very popular. But I mean, if you were to, in most countries, what you would do is you would probably just put something in basically an index fund um, where there were very few charges. And that would be the way in most countries, people would get involved in investment, which they would use as a hedge against inflation. And, you know, maybe you make some money. I mean, if you do it early enough over the course of your life, over the last couple of generations, you would have made substantial amounts of money. Here's an interesting little point, Michael, because we're talking about tax. If you, in Ireland, you put your money into an exchange-traded fund in Ireland, there's a thing called deemed disposal. And what this basically says is after um, eight years, if you have an investment that runs at least eight years, revenue is going to assume you have effectively realized those gains and you have to pay a tax of 41% on the gains and any income you've made to date, even if you've not, uh, cashed out basically basically it stops the type of investment that most kind of low to medium income people would do in somewhere like america because the compounding effect of every eight years having to pay 41 percent on the gains which are again unrealized so you have to liquidate something else or liquidate a uh, part of your position basically just to pay the tax bill um is so damaging now the government is aware of this but they have absolutely no interest in changing it because it's only on certain types of investment and it it doesn't relate to managed funds. So most of the very high income individuals would use a lot uh, more of those funds. So this is basically just for small um, people who are not professional investors, largely Uh, the sort of people you, Michael, you would think you would want to invest because yeah, it's a pretty good hedge um, or has been at least for the last few generations. So yeah, we basically, uh, we basically make that impossible.
1: It's it's forever. I mean, in a, I was actually looking at a, a, a really interesting longitudinal study there, met, which was both a study in its own right, but also did a meta study all, on all the. No, I, mean, I wouldn't say all because God knows what that would mean. In various investment strategies, and a simple, old, boring index uh, stock index stock market indexed fund has outperformed a, a pretty well everything. And if you Stay in the market. Say you start when you're 25. Get out when you're you're 65. Stay you stay in the market for 40 years. You will outperform pretty well every other asset class. Uh, as a form of saving, it is just about the best thing you can do. Not that we should get anything we say here should be used as investment advice. But there's that's another example of the kind of thing that we talked to, that I was saying about these people just don't like saving. They want to encourage consumption. I mean, the other thing that could happen is you could buy you get yourself a pension and then Michael Noonan could come along and steal it. Yes, that is, that is one of those things, isn't it? Uh, you can do all
0: of the right things and you can get screwed because the government decided it's going to screw you and it's it's right to do it because it's basically its money anyway. And anything yeah. they are gracious enough to give you, well, sometimes they might need that back. I just, I, I will, just on this point, on the, the 41% on the deemed disposal, because people might be saying, well, you know, when you cash it out, you have to pay tax on it anyway. What's the actual damage? The damage is that, much like you can compound gains and you can compound interest and they become more and more substantial over time, this also has a massive impact because it happens recurringly every eight years rather than just happening once and also it puts you in the difficulty of well are you going to partially liquidate your position or are you going to liquidate something else to pay for this? It's just a shit show of a policy
1: it, it, it's effect, it's effectively the same as inheriting property but not in, inheriting cash. And you say, well, this is worth it's, it's worth what X amount. But you say, that's fine. But I have to sell it in order to pay the tax on it because while it has a value, that val the value is inherent. It's I it's it's not liquid. If you've made money, that's madness. It's an act of disincentive to keep the money invested.
0: Well yes, yes, no, absolutely. Um and Pascal, I don't know who this has been raised with him multiple times. He has Said they've no plans to change it. It's also one of the things I think very few people are aware of. But it's just
1: another one of those, um, just another one of those kicks in the face. Why would you do that? Unless you genuinely wanted to encourage people to consume rather than to save. Which is I, 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 we've talked about before the, the 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 great pension robbery. It was I always felt had of dubious legality or constitutionality because it was absolutely discriminatory because all those people. Who, instead of having pensions, people like me who had spent their money on champagne and Lamborghinis and fine cigars, but had no, uh, they were on, absolutely unaffected by it because they'd, they'd gone ahead and they consumed everything they had pissed up against the wall. The little red hen who'd gone ahead and saved their pension carefully, they got robbed. And they got robbed at a far higher rate than they ever said, they admitted it because of the costs inherent, which they had to bear, not the department, they had to bear the costs of uh, liquidating getting cash out of the pension pot which Noonan had no fucking idea how to do so he had no idea what was going to cost as I said anger out love in
0: what the what Pascal has said about this in the doll is that there's no separate taxation regime specifically for ETFs and they're just covered under other legislation and then he said a couple of interesting things he said that it's done every eight years in order to prevent the indefinite deferral of a chargeable event. So basically, they will tax you every eight years. Because what happens with these things in other countries is you might take the investment and then 40 years later cash it out. But that's that's just how it's done, because that makes absolutely solid sense. Yeah, because you can use them effectively uh, in many ways to function as pensions. Because frankly, look, it's, it's an investment is basically what pension funds do. But the interesting thing he said uh, is that on the ultimate disposal of the investment, any tax paid uh, through deemed disposal is allowed as a credit against any final tax liability on disposal. Which seems good until you realise that because this is done every eight years and will compound itself, so you can do it as a sort of, oh, you know,
1: this is all going to balance out in the end. It's like, no, it's
0: not. It's designed to fuck you and it's going to fuck
1: you. And we, we should leave it at, because this could literally go on forever. Just the last thing. Take you know, they they want to get rid of the tax relief for people with private health insurance. No, to me that is just a classic. That's just a, a, a mean-spirited, petty, deliberate thing. That's they're saying. Oh well, if you've got private health insurance, this is in some sense a subsidy because you, the way they look at it is they are they're allowing you to keep your money, right? So. Anything you earn is ultimately their property and they decide how much of it you get to keep or not. So this is the state subsidizing private health insurance rather than saying, well, what we're actually looking at here is taking somebody out of the public system, which is massively funded, but massively inefficiently run and therefore with huge tailbacks. I mean, how many, what are we talking, what was the last figure, 1,400,000 people waiting for some kind of a operation or intervention? We want to actively disencourage people so that might afford private health care and go into a private health system and get them out of the public. So we're going to say, oh, no, you're not we're not you're going to have to pay the full whack for that, even though they are already paying through their income tax and indirect taxation and their dirt and all that. And because one can imagine and speculate that most people who have private health insurance are in the upper quintiles and they are therefore disproportionately contributing to the tax pot because as we said as i said before we are the most progressive taxation system in the world so like the top five percent paid what was it top five percent in ireland paid 27 percent of all tax income tax um very very progressive these these same people are already paying for everything else no no we're going to take that away from you because yeah we're not we don't like you having that
0: I mean, the one thing they do say that i agree with is that there needs to be a broadening of the irish taxation base but in relation to health yes they have i don't have private healthcare because i terribly want private healthcare i have private healthcare because the public healthcare system which i pay into anyway is totally dysfunctional and i mean the last time i had to engage with it which was my own fault because i i I was going to go private and someone said, oh, there's actually an appointment free next week. It's just come up in the local hospital. It would be much quicker than anything you'd get privately. And so I went with that option, Michael. And then it took me six months to get my reports back. So that is why I have private healthcare Because I don't trust the public healthcare system because it's dysfunctional. But that's largely due to government policies. So uh, it's also one of the great problems for Slantikar. They say that it should be gotten rid of because of Slantikar. But the problem is launch care is never going to be properly implemented and uh, private health care is the only thing keeping the system even vaguely ticking over. So, difficult. Difficult to do.
1: As I said, I shall look day not be. Barring I, I get to Dublin Airport when I'm supposed to fly out and they won't let me fly because the queues have reached 100, uh, I will not be here next Sunday, but maybe somebody else will be or Gary will have some fun activity for you. But, uh, Till I'm here again, I'd like wish you a happy September and enjoy yourselves, and talk to you whenever we talk again. All the best.